Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 405th edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel. And we're broadcasting across the world in this, our ninth year. I'm actually heading back to Los Angeles tomorrow after a whirlwind 10 days in Ecuador. I've loved it down here. It's great. Pity I have to go back to some degree. Now, we usually talk business stuff on this show, but today I'm going to talk about bees because bees are important and much more important than we probably realize. And bees are disappearing and they're absolutely essential for our food production system. Now, let me just tell you a few sort of mind-blowing facts about bees. Now, whether you're fascinated by them or absolutely terrified of them, you do enjoy the fruits of their labor. Bees play a vital role in our ecosystem by polluting plants, and they pollinate $1.5 billion worth of US food crops a year, one-third of absolutely everything that we eat comes from pollinators like honeybees. But unfortunately, their numbers are declining and declining rapidly and dangerously. Research from the University of Maryland reported that last month that about 40% of the US honeybee colonies died between 2018 and 2019. And that's the highest number loss in 13 years. And this same situation is happening all over the world. One third of 353 wild bee and hoverfly species have declined in the last 10 years. And these losses are primarily due to decreasing crop diversity, poor beekeeping practices, pesticides, and the loss of habitat caused by human activity and climate change. So let me tell you 12 things about bees that you probably didn't know. The oldest bee fossil is 100 million years old. Researchers from Oregon State University found a bee in Myanmar's valley that dates back 100 million years, and it's one of the oldest fossils on record. It's a bee. There are more than 20,000 species of bees now, they're honeybees and bumblebees and many other fly-like and wasp-like creatures, but 200,000 of them. This is something you're not going to you're going to find difficult. In the US, there are more than 115,000 beekeepers. Do you know a beekeeper? You'd think with 115,000 beekeepers, you'd at least know one, wouldn't you? Mm, I don't know any. And I know a lot of people, but no beekeepers. And honey's produced in every state, with North Dakota, Montana, South Dakota, Florida, and California, the top honey-producing states. Here's another one that might surprise you. They're better than me sometimes. Bees can differentiate between different human faces. They can tell one face from another. You know, how often do you go to a bar, have a few drinks, and everybody looks exactly the same? Well, bees, 
which you need is a little trained bee that can tell you who people are. So they, um, they can identify faces. Bees are the state insect of 16 U.S. states. So 16 U.S. states have the bee as their state insect. And uh, that's incredible. In Utah, honeybees are the state insect, and Utah's nickname is the beehive state. Bees can't talk, but they do communicate with their movements, like headbutts, and while researchers could say that means stop, and waggle dances that show where the nest is. Pretty fascinating. A queen bee can live for up to five years. So the worker bees live about five weeks, but the queen bee lives five years. So see, it it does matter what family you're born into. Queen honeybees lay 2,000 eggs a day. So queen honeybees, the only fertile female in a hive, and she lays 2,000 eggs every day. And each individual worker honeybee makes only one-twelfth of a teaspoon of honey in its entire life. So think how many bees it's taken to make a bottle of honey, with each worker bee just making one-twelfth of a teaspoon of honey over its entire life. See, I told you this segment on bees would be fascinating. And bees produce substances other than honey. They um, build honeycomb, which is great. They also create bee bread, which is like an edible pollen. And they make a gluey substance called propolis. All of these things can be um, eaten. And worker honeybees can fly 20 miles an hour. That's 32 kilometres an hour. So those tiny little guys can fly 32 kilometres an hour. I went out to iHeartRadio yesterday, which is six miles from my house, and it took me 35 minutes. A worker honeybee would have been there in, yeah, what, six minutes or something. And bee colonies around the world are disappearing. A study published in the journal Science found that climate change has led to reductions in the geographic range of bumblebees in North America and Europe, and some bees ranges shrank by up to 200 miles. So while losing bees seems pretty trivial, if all the bees disappeared in the next, say, 50 years, which is predicted if we continue on the way we're going, we won't have any pollination. We, we will have so many species of trees and plants and just die out. So it's a really serious problem. Now, do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We've now got about 1.75 million daily subscribers. It takes just 30 seconds to read every day. 30 seconds to a minute, and every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine. We talk about new apps to new technology. We talk about Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain, cryptocurrencies. And in tomorrow's newsletter, I talk about how meat equivalents, such as 
impossible and uh, beyond have exploded on the US scene, dramatically increasing shelf space. And now almost overnight, nearly all of the fast food chains are introducing a meatless hamburgers and tacos. So where do we go from here? Does that trend continue or is it a flash in the pan? Well, if you want to find out, go to my newsletter tomorrow. And all you've got to do to sign up is go to my website, bobpritchard.com, P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D.com, and subscribe. It takes two seconds, and uh, and you'll receive the newsletter the next day. Now, and if you want to unsubscribe, it's not like those newsletters that um, you can't bloody get out of. You know, some of them you get and there's no way to cancel them or unsubscribe. Well, this one you can unsubscribe easy if you want to. Nobody ever does, but you could. All you've got to do is tick the unsubscribe button and you're gone. It's that easy. Now, I want to finish off this segment with a fabulous story. This is a story I absolutely love. And it goes back 140 years. So 140 years ago, a lady in a faded gingham dress, remember those old gingham dresses? And her husband, who was dressed in a homespun threadbare suit. So they're a pretty ordinary looking couple, right? They stepped off the train in Boston and they walked without an appointment into the Harvard University president's outer office. So Harvard, it's where a lot of wealthy parents sent their children, all well-dressed back in those days. And here's a lady in a faded gingham dress and a husband who's dressed in a threadbare suit walk into the president's office. And the secretary could tell in an instant that such backwoods country hicks didn't really fit in at Harvard and uh, probably didn't even belong in Cambridge. They were so out of touch with the area. So the man says, we'd like to see the president. And he said it very softly. And the secretary snapped back, well, he's going to be busy all day. And the lady said, well, we'll wait. And they sat down. For hours and hours and hours, the secretary ignored them, hoping that the couple would finally become discouraged and go away. But they didn't. They sat there for hours and hours. And the secretary was growing frustrated and finally decided to disturb the president, even though he hated it. He didn't like being disturbed. And the secretary said, maybe if you see them for a few minutes, they'll leave. The president said, Oh, gee, okay. So he sighed in exasperation and he nodded. Somebody of his importance obviously didn't have the time to spend with people in gingham dresses and threadbare suits. And uh, and he hated them being in the office. They were creating a bad impression. So the president, stern-faced and with, you know, his pompous attitude, strutted out to the couple and the lady said to him we had a son who attended harvard for one year 
He really loved Harvard. He was very happy here. But about a year ago, he was accidentally killed. And my husband and I would like to erect a memorial to him somewhere on the campus. Well, the president wasn't the least bit moved or the least bit touched. In fact, he was shocked. Madam, he said gruffly, we can't put a statue for every person who attended Harvard and died. If we did that, the place would look like a cemetery. Oh, no, the lady explained quietly. We don't want to erect a statue. We thought we would like to give a building to Harvard. The president rolled his eyes. He glanced at the gingham dress and the threadbare suit and then said, a building? Do you have any earthly idea how much a building costs? And this is 140 years ago. He says, we've over seven and a half million dollars in physical buildings here at Harvard. So the lady was silent. And the president was very pleased. He thought, I've shut them up. I'm going to get rid of them. Now they're going to walk out. But the lady turned to her husband and said, is that all it costs to start a university? Seven and a half million dollars. Why don't we start our own? The husband nodded and the president's face wilted in confusion and he was kind of bewildered. So Mr. and Mrs. Leyland Stanford got up and walked away. They traveled to Palo Alto, California, where they established the university that bears their name. It's called Stanford University, one of the most prestigious universities in the world and the university adjacent to Silicon Valley. And they built that as a memorial to a son that Harvard obviously <laughs> didn't give a damn about. They can easily judge the character of others by how they treat those who they think can do nothing for them. The president was obviously a stuffy, stuck-up, pompous president of a prestigious university. And these people were just regular folks that had a bunch of money. So instead of Harvard doubling to twice its size, Stanford University was built. I love that story. I think that's fantastic. I hate people who are up on themselves. It doesn't, just doesn't work for me. Now, today's interview is with Evan Hackle, and Evan is the CEO of Tortal Training. Now, it's a leading training development company, and he's also the principal and founder of Engage Consulting. He's host of Training Unleashed podcasts. He's the author of the book Engaging Leadership. He's a hell of a good guy. And I'll be back with Evan in just a moment.
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Where over the past eight years, we've given you an insight into the lives of somewhere around 400 of the world's most interesting business people. We've talked about the services they provide and uh, the challenges they faced, how they've overcome those challenges. But behind it all, we try to find out what it is that makes them tick. It's extremely difficult to create a successful business. Only about two in every hundred startup businesses succeed. So we, we want to try and find out what it is that those two that succeed do that the 98 that fail don't do. And I've mentioned this a number of times, but it is extremely important for small businesses, businesses, startups, entrepreneurs to surround themselves with mentors, people that have that they can come on board with the business and give you straight advice. People that have done it before, people that um, preferably have been in your type of industry before and know the pitfalls and know what you need to do. It can make a hell of a difference to your success. I've had uh, mentors for probably 30 years and the same people have mentored me all the way through and it's, um, it, I would have made millions of mistakes. <laughs> I have made millions of mistakes, but I would have made millions more if I hadn't have had good mentors. Evan Hackle is CEO of Total Training. It's a leading training development company, and he's the principal and founder of Engage Consulting, which is I-N-G-A-G-E, which is kind of cute. He's the host of Training Unleashed podcasts, the author of the book Engaging Leadership, and guess what? He's a speaker, like most of us. (laughs) He speaks on Seeking Excellence, Better Together, Engaging leadership and attitude is everything. Hi, Evan. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard right across the world. I am very happy to be here. Very happy to be here. Where are you right at the moment? I am outside of Boston, Massachusetts, as we speak. Okay. I went over there just recently for just a few days. I actually gave a speech and then had a few days break. It's a great part of the world, but... You can have the cold. 
<laughs> but I like it, to ski, Bob. So it's okay <laughs> by me. I'll take the call. Yeah, but you got to work. That's the trouble. You know, I, snow and cold's fun for about the first hour and a half until you have to start shoveling it, and then all of a sudden it wears thin real quick. Um, what's the difference between a leader and a manager? Is one simply someone who a leader, someone who who motivates and drags people along through through sheer adrenaline, and a manager is somebody who sits there with a grey suit and a grey tie and a grey shirt and grey hair and plots grass. <laughs> What's the difference? Well, you know, it's 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 interesting you describe it that way because I, I think if you ask somebody, you know would you prefer to be a leader or would you prefer to be a manager? Everybody go, I want to be a leader. Who would want to be a manager? I think if you ask an employee a question, would you rather be inspired and motivated or would you be rather be told what to do? And everyone go, yeah, yeah. I want to be inspired and motivated. So everyone grasps that they, they need to be, you know, they want to be a leader. They want to be, they want to be inspired. They want to be motivated. Right. But the reality is, you know, both organizations need both, right. right? You need vision, you need inspiration, you need passion. At the same token, you got to do the job. At the same token, you got to be organized. You have to have systems. You have to have procedures. Sure. So you can't, you can't, you can't just be um, one or the other unless you're big enough, right? Thank Large you. corporations, you know, uh, you know, a good example of this is Apple, right? Right. Uh, Steve Jobs could be the most innovative, the most dynamic leader in the world because he had Tim Cook, and Tim Cook did the day to day. Yeah, and, he and could be a total asshole as a manager. Yeah, <laughs> right. And <laughs> so, <laughs> but you know, if you're a normal corporation like most of the people listening here, you know, you don't have a person who's you know a, a, a full time CEO leader. Who then has got a COO manager, a COO manager, that's operating. But every business needs to have vision, have direction, know where they're going, and also needs to have a manager that sits back and and you know does budgets, uh, sits down with people, does planning, uh, sets you know goals, you know the common term KPIs or metrics. Yep of what, what, where people need to go, and you have to have both skills, but they're both very different skill sets. And it's very normal, and what, you know, go back to why do businesses fail, that a person is one or the other, right? One, yeah. you know, they're a great leader, they got a great vision, but they're, you know, they're not really good at crossing the eyes and dotting the T's, and, you know, for a while they can get by with that. And then, in another case, you got a person that's really great at, you know, running the day-to-day practices of the business but doesn't have that vision. So, you know, the person with the vision grows fast and then crumbles, and the person without the vision runs a really sturdy business that never grows. Right. And, so, and that's why that's why businesses need both, and they can be, you know, I've got two parts. I mean, they can be two different people, um, but ideally they need, they, they need to be one, and you need to understand the importance of doing both roles. Isn't it really difficult to find a leader? I mean, how often does a Jobs or a or a Musk or someone come along? And aren't they born? Don't they sort of pop out of the womb and they're all of a sudden leading a procession down the 
um, maternity ward um, hallway. Yeah, I'm going to differ. I'm going to differ with you there. I I don't think they're born. Yeah, are some born? Sure. Uh, I think people can learn leadership skills. I think people can learn, you know, people that have experience in business that are properly mentored, properly coached, um, you know, read, read the right business books. I mean, it, you know, plug my own book, engage, engaging leadership with an eye. You know, if you read that book, it gives you the clues and the keys on how to, how to be a great leader. And, and I think that people can be inspired and build leadership leadership skills, you know, understand something. Leadership isn't necessarily about giving that powerful dynamic speech that gets everyone, you know, riled up and, and excited. You know, leadership is about having a passion, about having a vision of where you want a company to go. Hmm. And that, that doesn't that doesn't mean that the person's got to be the most inspiring. You know, maybe, you know, someone who's naturally inspiring that gives, you know, gives a speech. I mean, I'm, as I'm sitting here talking, I'm thinking about the movie Animal House when, you know, they're in the middle of the hearing and the guy gets up and starts going on and on. And this is un-American. And then they all march out, you know, following this great speech. Yeah. You know, there, there are very few of those type of people in this world. Yeah. Um, but somebody that can sit back and see a vision of where a company can go and, and inspire people to want to make that happen. You know, I think these are skill sets that can be learned. Hmm. Um, I would have thought that, that you know, there were two totally different types of personality. Of the, somebody that can inspire a team of people to get out and run through a brick wall. Um, well, you know, look, look, at, look at there are people that can inspire a team of people that are not great leaders. You know, uh, so, you know, if you're an inspirational person, you're listening to somebody that got you all excited, they got you all, they all got you all, got you all pumped up, but they haven't given you a direction of what to do and where sure. to go and where, you know, what, what's the flag in the ground for a business, right? Where, where's that business going? You know, what do we need to do to be in lockstep to get to where we're going? Yeah. That, that's leadership is defining that vision. And you can rah-rah somebody all you want. I mean, you see this happen in companies all the time. We need more sales. Someone gives an inspiring speech. We need to, you know, we need to go talk to more customers. We need to do this. We need to do all, the, all these things without really creating a vision. You know, and a vision is a very powerful thing. A vision is more than just simply a goal. It's a why it matters. It, it's, it's the essence of a purpose and uh, something that there can be shared a shared power around something that the customers get, the staff get, the people get, that, that what you're doing is important uh, beyond, beyond the materialistic vision of, you know, let's just make some money. Can anybody, Although it's nice to make some money. Can anybody learn to be a manager? Can anybody learn to be a manager? Yeah. i got to tell you something. I think it's harder to be a good manager than it is, than it is to be a good leader. Yeah, I was okay, and I know I'm because there's an art to being a, a manager where you're sitting back and really coaching people, helping people, holding people accountable, but doing it in a way that motivates them. Yeah, you know, and, and so many people like, gee, you know, I, I'm going to be, I'm a manager, and I'm going to get back for every time someone inappropriately abused me with power. 
Um, and, yeah. you know, most managers, all they do is they look for what you did wrong. They spend all your time looking, what's wrong, wrong? You know, you did this, Bob, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, Bob, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. And, and that's why, uh, you know, I talk about a lot, and this is in my, you know, my speech on positiveness, it's in my book, The Rule of Five which is a good manager catches someone doing five things right and acknowledges five times for every one thing that they see that needs improvement. Right. And the reason this is important is that if you're managing someone, you don't want them running. I remember stories about a client that I had that when the CEO came into the, came into the building, I'm like, you know, everyone was looking to hide. You know, no one was walking in the hall. All at their desk with their heads down because they didn't want to talk to this guy. Because yeah. when he would walk by, all he would do is rag on you. And when people when people get acknowledged for what they're doing right, um, and then when they see that person who's five to one telling them that they're doing a great job, they love talking to him because it's much more likely the person's going to say something positive than negative. Yeah, and then when they when they say something that is constructive, because they saw them do so many things that are right, they're really going to listen, and because they know how much this person cares, and they know how this person knows how good they are at what they do. Yeah, and so, it keeps everybody motivated. Yeah, it does, and and I think that's a hard skill set to, to to develop, and um, and it's certainly you know contrary to what you watch on TV. You know, I think TV is one of the greatest training tools in the world on life. Unfortunately, it just trains us all on the wrong things to be and how to behave. <laughs> um, that, that's the problem. But, I mean, we, we get so much by watching. You know, I remember as a kid watching Bewitched. And uh, most of the people listening probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But, you know, in the show, in the show Darren is always scared of what his boss is going to want. Yeah. All I mean, just does anything his boss ever asks. He doesn't want to get fired, etc. And, and you know, I, I'm picking on that show, but you know, the, this is culture is taught through our entertainment, and you know, a lot of the things you know with the Me Too movement today are, are a direct result of culture being taught on television. You know, yeah. where television shows show show behavior which you watch today and you go, oh my god I can't believe they did this on this TV show yeah um, and so you know it's a great teacher it's just teaching the wrong things so and it, I guess anyhow, it's I'm sorry for that it's more important now I guess because we've got a really tight labor force we can we can't supply enough people to fill jobs and that's forcing up that's making more competition for employees and forcing up wages. So I guess having business skills is critical to keep those people, but having leadership skills is important to make sure they don't go and bolt and go to the competition. You know, I'm glad you brought this up because this, this is a, a very, very um, important topic to me we have to stop thinking in terms of wages and, and you know, we think, oh, we pay this person, you know, $15 an hour. We pay this person $25 an hour. We need to think in terms of productivity sure. because you can pay one person one, the same wage and one person's going to do twice as much work as the other person. And so it's not what you're paying them. It's what you're getting. 
And so some companies just insist on, hey, we're just going to pay the lowest market wage. We, we just, because, you know, everybody, you know, we're in a tough industry, you know, particularly people like in fast food restaurants and people working in, in retail. And their, their whole goal is to pay as little as humanly possible because they're, they're trying to, they're trying to uh, keep, keep payroll down to a set percentage of revenue. And, and I would argue that percentage of revenue is very, in fact, relevant. But it isn't necessarily the goal by paying people less. If you have better people that are more productive, that get more done, and you pay them more and you don't lose them, you're going to make a lot more money. Yeah. So it's, it's very short-sighted to just simply look and say, what are we paying people? You know, let, let's look at, and you know, depending on what they're doing, you know, what's, what's their output? You know, if they're, if they're working in, in, um, you know, in a hotel and they're cleaning rooms, for instance, how many rooms do they clean, you know, an hour? Um, you know, what if you change if we, if you can change the dynamic with the right people and they can clean twice as many rooms in an hour as by hiring the people that would accept the job at the pay you wish to pay. Well, is that bad? I mean, it's easier to manage half the number of people. Your benefits are half and you're paying them twice as much, but they're doing twice the work. I would argue a company's far better off doing it that way than it is simply trying to hire people at the lowest possible amount. I guess this is where you need to be a good manager because if you've got a number of people all doing the same job, all getting, well, all doing the same job but not necessarily the same productivity, but all getting the same, all getting different levels of, of income, then you're likely to have a war on your hands, aren't you? Well, you know, it, 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 you know the, pro, the, the problem is if you simply pay people a lot but you don't manage them well, you don't look at what they're doing for productivity – uh, you're you're not a, you're not you're not a good manager. You're you're exactly right. You're a bad manager. Yeah. Um, and you know people need to know what you're. You know it's amazing. You know, I talk to so many people. I know you talk to so many people. You know, do people know what you expect? Yeah. That's just that simple. Do they know? No, they don't know. They no one tells them. Yeah. That's you know, true. I'm talking about ho- hotels because I was. Last month, I was hired by a fairly major hotel uh, organization you know, with thousands and thousands of hotels, and I spent a lot of time talking to people. and And you sit back and you just you just shake your head and go, "Huh? How do you expect someone to be happy at work when they have no idea what success is?" Yeah. Right. I mean, if you if you hire someone and you don't tell them, here's our expectations. And by the way, here's how you're doing versus your expectations. How do, how do they know they're doing a good job? Yeah. And, you know, then they get frustrated and they, and they leave because, you know, who wants to work in a place where you're doing a miserable job that's tough to do and you have no idea if you're successful and people are only spending their time complaining about what you're doing poorly? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it doesn't work. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So... I'm sitting out there and I'm starting up a new business and I'm about to create a, a business plan. And what, what, is, what are the most important things that I should be looking at to put in that business strategy? Well, 
the key the key thing you have to sit back is and say to yourself is what am I doing that's better than what other people do? How do what's the competition doing? What's my niche? What do I do that's better? What's my unique proposition? And what is my vision for where this company needs to be going to be successful? And if you're, you know, look at there, that's not to say you can't have a business that, you know, does what other people do. It's just, if you do just expect it to be that. Yeah. So let's say just for instance, you know, that you're an electrician and, and you want to start a business as an electrician and, you know, basically the work is going to be maybe you and an assistant and your goal is just to be an electrician and find some business. You know, do you, do you need to have this differentiator and thing I just described? Probably not. But let's just say for the sake of argument, you're looking to build a really great business, which is what I think you're talking about. Sure. Then you got to sit back and say, what do other people do? What will I do differently? Why will it matter to people? You know, it always makes sense before you start to validate. You know, I, I know people, oh, yeah, I'm going to open up a consulting business. Great. Before you open up a consulting business, get a couple of clients. And they go, what do you mean? I go, well, how am I going to have clients? If I don't have a website, I don't have this, I don't have that. <laughs> Look at Figure out what you're going to consult on, why it's going to be different, talk to people. And if you can't, before you open, have a few clients, maybe this isn't the business to be in. Yeah. Um, and so having that differentiator, knowing what it is, having a clear vision of where you're going, then doing the math, understanding what it's going to cost. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting and I haven't checked the statistic in years, but so I hate, you know, being the people that give bad facts, but I did check this statistic at one time and more people go out of business because they're doing too much business than too little. And they don't understand the issue uh, and the impact of cash flow. They don't understand if they have to buy inventory. That you know that you know if you if you have a business um, that's making you know let's say a ten percent profit, which is pretty nice. Yeah. Uh, but your average the average person pays you in ninety days, and you have inventory that's equivalent to you know a couple months sales. Um, you can grow your business, but your cash will, you know, it's not like you're, you're buying things that are worthless. You're buying good things, but you're, you're going to spend a lot more buying inventory and a lot more funding receivables than you're going to earn in profits. And a lot of businesses um, are seasonal too, and people don't um, plan their cash flow. So uh, all of a sudden, business, business um, just drops off because of seasonal reasons and your income drops off and all of a sudden you've got mouths to feed and you're in trouble. That, well, that, that's, that's exactly right, which is why it's important to do financial planning and to, and to, and to, sit, and to sit back and you know, realize what the, what the impact of, of, of the business is and, and to be properly funded to get started. Yeah. Um, of course, that, and, that's difficult. If you're, if you're a small, starting a small business, um, then one of the biggest problems that I, that I see when I, when I talk to small businesses is that whoever is the um, principal of the business, the guy who invented whatever they're going to do, has to all of a sudden be not only the inventor but the HR person and the accountant and the lawyer and the, he's got 57 roles all of a sudden, um, most of which they have... 
absolutely no experience in doing. So how do you how do you address that if you're a, a small business? Do you hire? Do you, should the should the entrepreneur be the the um, sort of inspirer? So, so, so to Bob, hire a Bob let's, play, let's play a game. Let's play a game. Okay. Give me a business that somebody wants to start, and I'm going to answer your question. Okay. Um, I want to start a, a, a car sales yard. I want to sell cars. A car? Yeah, yeah, I want to sell cars. So I start off you want with a, a small yard, and I've got half a dozen cars that I've wanted so you to want to sell. you want to sell used cars? Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because people can do this today so much easier than they could do it before. I, I know people that, you know, this is what they do for a living. They sell them on Craigslist, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And, okay. So what I would tell you is if you really want to be in the car used car business, go work for a used car dealer. Right. Take a job, a job maybe you wouldn't normally take. And maybe, you, you know, you're only going to start with six or 10 or 15 cars. Go work for somebody bigger and learn the business. Learn and see what happens. See, see the ins and outs. See what, they, what their best practices are in terms of sales technique. See what they do to finance their vehicle, what they do to acquire their vehicle. Learn the business, then go start, then go start your own business. Yeah, that, but yeah. You know, to, learn, to learn on your own is very expensive. Is that to say that someone can't be successful just starting it and doing it themselves? No, you can be. It's all about risk. But only two in a hundred are going to be successful. That's 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 exactly right. So, you know, if you want to start a restaurant, I, I, I cook. I love cooking a lot. Oh, I mean, you should start a restaurant. Start a restaurant. Yeah, that's an easy. And I think to myself. Yeah, I want to work every night. <laughs> Yeah, I want to work every night. I want to work every weekend. No, but if I was ever going to start a restaurant, the first thing I would do is work in a restaurant because I've never worked in a restaurant. Just because I like cooking and it's a hobby for me doesn't mean I'm going to be good at it. So, you know, if if I'm an electrician, you know, I just, you know, accept your You know, I want to spend time working in electrical, you know, for, for someone to learn the trade. I mean, the other alternative is to is to buy into a franchise. Yeah, and you know, a lot of franchises are excellent excellent vehicles for people to get going, um, and they definitely reduce risk in terms of success. You know, at the get go, at the beginning, for sure. That's not to say they aren't with risk. Yeah. and I think there's a misnomer to think you buy a franchise and you buy complete safety. That's not true. You still have to be confident. And you still have to make sure you buy, buy the right franchise, one that works for you, meaning you have the skill set to do it, and one where you have a really good quality franchisor. Not all franchisors are great. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them are great. But, you know, that's if someone says, gee, I have a little money, I want to do something, um, then, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a great way because you're, you're getting the best practices, you're getting the help, you're getting all, all of those kind of basic things. I guess a restaurant's a pretty good example because you might um, think you're a pretty good cook. You might be a pretty good cook, and you, you're terrific at whipping up meals for your, for your wife. You know she's absolutely thrilled with the food she gets every night. However, when you open a restaurant and you've got scale and you've got 
you know, you've got to buy the right amount of food. You can't throw food out. You've got all that management. Um, it's a whole different ball game, isn't it? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, like, I, I mean, I'll give you myself as an example. Every now and then, I go and I run a kitchen for a weekend, and I cook food for seventy people, three meals a day for basically three and a half days. Okay, so that's a pretty big challenge, and I love it. It's intellectually great. Has no relevance to my ability to run a restaurant. None. Right. Um, you know, you run a restaurant. You know, you need to have people that are tested and. And, and have gone through serve safe. Uh, you know, restaurants make money making soup because they're using all their scraps, all their leftovers, they're turning food that's waste into money. Yeah. Um, portion control, all the, you know, how you make, you know, how you make meals that taste great, that, that are priced right, that you make good margin on, how you upsell and upsell appetizers, alcohol, you know, all these things are very complicated and, you know, rightly or wrongly, it's much more it's much more difficult to be successful today than it was, you know, fifty years ago or sixty Absolutely. years ago. Absolutely, every every business has become more difficult, more complex, um, because people keep getting better, better, and better. Yeah, um, and there's more and more of them, and more and yeah, more people want to be their own boss than ever did before. Yeah, and how do you find a site for a restaurant that's the right site? Yeah, you know. But if I went to work for a restaurant, I wouldn't go to work for a lousy one. I can tell you that. <laughs> I go look for work for a train, a, a, a local regional restaurant group. You know, in, in Boston, there you know, got to be ten or fifteen of these people that are every year opening up one or two new restaurants. Yeah. That really understand how to run a restaurant. They're really, really good at it, and I've learned. And I, you know, I take different jobs and I move between locations and. And I've learned, and, and then, after I've learned a lot, built a great plan, determined how my restaurant would be unique and different, I understand how to negotiate rents with, with landlords, I understand, you know, where good locations are, and I know all these things, then I start my own restaurant. Right. It was interesting because um, my son, when he finished college, um, was going into a, um, a startup, and... Uh, Tim Draper said to him, before you do anything, go and get yourself three or four years experience at one of the big four or three or whatever there is now. Um, and, um, you know, make sure you understand how business works from top to bottom and how the financial side of the business works. Then think about going into something if you want to. So he went to Deloitte's and spent a number of years at Deloitte's and then went to Google and he said that was the smartest thing he ever did because by the time he went to Google, he really knew, you know, what the hell he was doing. And that's pretty good advice you know, for everybody, it, I think. It is. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll throw in a little, a little advice too. Um, you know, if you work in a family business and the family business is doing well and you're enjoying working in family business, uh, quit. Go work for somebody else for a while and come back to the family business. Um, because, you know, the problem in your family business that you worked in your entire life is that's what you know. Yeah. And if you really want to help, if the family business is doing well and, you know, your your parents are still running it and there's plenty of time, if you go and work at a couple other businesses, when you come back to that family business, you're going to be able to add so much more to the business and and help that business grow to new, to new levels 
Yeah, totally you stay there, perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you stay there. You know, I there's a the ham story, which you probably heard, but just for some of the listeners that haven't heard, and it's really nothing about ham. It could be just about anything. Yeah. But, you know, this this couple's over, and and the the, the family, the hostess is serving a ham. The ham's delicious. It says, you know, what do you do? How do you cook your ham? What makes it better? And the hostess says, I really have no idea. The only thing I really do that's different is I cut two inches off the ham at the, on the end. Right. And why do you do that? And I don't know. And they call the mother and they go, mother, why do you do that? Well, I don't know. I, that's what my mother always said. That's why they call the grandmother. And the grandmother says, well, hams are normally 14 inches. And my pot was 12. So I had to cut off two inches to get fit in the pot. <laughs> and, and dutifully, they're cutting two inches off a ham for no reason at all, except for that's how it's always been done. Yeah. And, uh, you know, which really, you know, brings me to, you know, another very valid point for successful businesses. Always got to rethink your business. You know, you always have to sit back and say to yourself, hey, if I was going to open up a business and put myself out of business, what would I do? And then once you know what you do to put yourself out of business, do it first before someone else does it. Yeah. Um, Particularly which today. I think is a, it's really important yeah. today. So many people, businesses are getting disrupted that you've got to really stay ahead of the game. Yeah. Rethink, rethink everything. Challenge everything. Don't let everything be a ham. You know, why are you doing it? I always do it. Why you do this? I always do it. Always. You know, that, that's the worst reason to do something. Um, do something because it's the right and best thing to do in the business and challenge yourself. Evan, we're really running out of time. So I really want to thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, if you want to hire Evan as a speaker, visit evanhacklespeaks.com. That's E-V-A-N-H-A-C-K-E-L speaks, S-P-E-A-K-S.com. And, but make sure you don't hire him before you hire me because that would be a big mistake. But he's a great, <laughs> he's a great speaker. <laughs> How about you hire both of us? Hire yeah, both, both of us. Both of us. We'll There's the go. We could, we, could, <laughs> we could do a great dog and pony show, I reckon. Thank you very much. I also, I also, on that website, if you go there, even if you don't want to hire me to speak, if you look at my articles and podcasts, there's a wealth of knowledge. And of course, by my book, Engage, Engaging Leadership with an I. Yeah. Um, but uh, it would be fun, Bob, to speak together sometime. I it would I be. It'd, be it. it'd be great. I'd enjoy that. Yeah. So thanks very much. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the 405th. Bob Pritchard, straight talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show. We're on Voice America Business Network, and we're broadcasting today from Keta in Ecuador in South America. Now, 
you've probably noticed, but there's been a concerted attack on Google, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and this is happening worldwide. Politicians across the planet are getting really stuck into them. And to many of us, it seems like governments desperately trying to protect their turf and maintain control. You know, in modern times, most empires have a lifespan of about 100 years. And the American empire is at least 100 years old. And it's possible that our time is running out. Now, at the end of the American period, the obvious period that most people would say is China. China, the next century belongs to China. But does it? What if the next century doesn't belong to a nation state? Now, when it comes to modern power and control, there's a big transition taking place. And the transition's rooted in finance, as are most things. And the way this is playing out, it's possibly not good news for the American empire or the Chinese empire. So is the idea of a non-governmental entity controlling parts of the world really that far-fetched? I'm not sure that there is. Maybe there is a better way to run the world. The way we're doing it now is totally screwed up. The world's full of problems. So having politicians running the world isn't working out that well. Now, imagine a world where leadership is egalitarian with decentralised boundaries and borders. Essentially, it'll be a world where there's no government per se. Imagine a world free from central control and economic mismanagement. Think of how much money the bloody government wastes every day. Probably 50% of all money that we pay to the government just gets blown. What if we threw the concept of a nation state away? It might not be the way the world works in the future. The big players of the tech world, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google and Oracle, they're all financial giants poised to wrestle control away from governments. Their combined total revenues are over $800 billion. And in terms of cash, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Alphabet and Facebook are sitting on at least $100 billion. And that's not including the hundreds of billions in short-term investments that exist on their balance sheets. In short, pulled together, the might, power and influence of the world's biggest tech companies and their combined networks could be the most powerful on earth. They're certainly more powerful than the US government. All the regulators and authorities can really do is try to build a fence around the growing might of big tech. US politicians are terrified of big tech because big tech poses an immediate threat to the most important weapon the US has in their global empire, banking and finance. They've got a strong army and an air force and the navy and nuclear power, but these things aren't nearly as powerful as the might of the financial system. There's a draft piece of legislation in America now to stop the big tech getting into banking. This legislation is known as the Keep Big Tech Out of Finance Act. 
and the Senate and House Committees on Finance's grilling of Facebook over the past few weeks shows how resistant the US is going to be to the global dreams of big tech. Big tech's getting its hand on consumer dollars through Google Pay, Apple Pay, and credit provisions that you can get through Amazon. More recently, Apple Card and then the big giant in the room, Libra and Calibra by Facebook. So Facebook's Libra is the first direct foray into redistributing the power of Wall Street and government amongst themselves and controlling the world. So the question becomes, does the Keep Big Tech Out of Finance Act succeed? Does Libra get shut down? Do Wall Street and the US retain power? Or are we on the cusp of a massive change to the status quo? I reckon they're all great questions. Now, somebody extraordinarily brilliant once said, imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Imagine all the people living life in peace. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Maybe that time is here. I hope you have a great week and continue to be successful because the alternative to success sucks. This is Bob Pritchard from Kedah in South America, preparing to head home to my wonderful hometown of Los Angeles. See you next week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.